Okay, so today we're going to look into the Old Testament. It says that the things in the Old Testament were written for our instruction and edification. They were for examples for us so that we can learn from them. And that's just what we're going to do today, I sincerely hope anyway. So before we do that, we need a quick history lesson. Okay, so just in case you're not sure. Israel in the Old Testament was a nation. They were the Jewish people. Okay, and they were made up of 12 tribes. And they came from the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, hence the name Israel. Okay, and King David became the king of Israel after Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Okay, so King David became the king of all those 12 tribes. And when he died, he passed that kingdom to Solomon. And when Solomon died, there was a bit of eruption. And the kingdom was split. Okay. Eleven tribes decided to rebel. Think, hmm, we're going off and doing our own thing, thanks. Which left how many tribes? One. Which was the tribe of Judah. Okay. Or the house of David. Same thing. You may think, why am I sharing all this? Well, it's actually really complicated. When you start reading this book, it gets very confusing because you've got kings are there and kings are there. And you're thinking, which one's which? And I'm lost now. So there were kings of Judah and kings of Israel at the same time. They each had their own kings. Israel had 19 consecutive evil kings. Everybody go boo. But Judah did slightly better. So it had a few more good kings. Hooray! So today we're going to look at one of the good kings. Everybody say hooray. We're going to learn some stuff from them. So if you want to look in the Old Testament, the book of two kings. So it's called the books of one kings and two kings. And it basically talked about the kings. Makes sense, doesn't it? And they also appear in the next books called One and Two Chronicles. And they kind of repeat themselves. If you're reading things thinking, I've read this before somewhere. They do repeat the stories for a purpose. But anyway, I'm not going there this year. Um, okay, so 1 Kings chapter 18, and what I'm going to do, so no, let's just decide to ignore my notes, it says one, I really mean 2 Kings, <clears throat> just, just checking you're listening. So, I'll be there, alright then, One, oh, two, two, 2 Kings, got a pen, I can change that, 2 Kings chapter 18, and we shall do some reading, okay? It is Hezekiah. You are in the right place. So. Now, it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. All very good. Now, he was 25. Hands up if you're over 25. Most of us. Okay. Mm, So a young king. When he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. That's quite a long time. His mum's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Everybody cheer. According to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars. These were all the sort of the places where it was kind of idol worship really. 
And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now it's interesting, isn't it? The bronze serpent Moses had made was actually for the healing of the Jewish people in the wilderness when they got bitten by the snakes. But by this time it had become an idol. Things which have been good can become stumbling blocks to us. Okay, that's an aside. So, verse 5, he, as in Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He didn't depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from the watchtower to fortified city. Mm, pretty good going. What, a, what an epitaph that would be. A good man did some good stuff. Then in the fourth year of his reign, how old would he be? Just checking if you're listening. 29. Very good. In the fourth year, the king of Assyria took away Israel. Okay, so all those 11 tribes the king of Assyria took into captivity. Which left just the tribe of Judah all on its lonesome. And that was fine. However, and I should say that um, Israel was so bad, this was judgment that came to them. That's why the king of Assyria came to bring punishment on them. The Lord had allowed it. But 10 years later... How old would Hezekiah have been? Fantastic, Jordan, thank you. He would have been 39. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, decided to turn his attention to Judah. Dun, dun, dun. Look out. And he attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Except Jerusalem. Everybody say, except Jerusalem. Which is where Hezekiah lived and ruled from. So... His little island is getting smaller and smaller. Oh dear. It is bad news. Who has bad news from time to time? We all have bad news from time to time. But what will Hezekiah decide to do? He's a good man. We know he trusted God. I've just read that. He kept his commandments. He held fast to the Lord, it says. So this godly man, what's he going to do? So he says to the king of Assyria, when he's confronted by all his cities around Jerusalem being taken, he says, oh, I've done wrong. Uh, turn away from me and I'll pay you whatever you demand. Excuse me? Uh, uh, Hezekiah? Oh, what are you doing? Sorry? I thought you trusted God. He's trying to pay off Assyria. He's trying to say, look, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you whatever you want. Just go away. Leave me, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Does it sound like a man who trusted God? Pardon? Not really. Yet, we've got that in history. We know he did. How often, when you've been walking a long time with the Lord, you can do some pretty foolish things, can't you? You forget to actually trust God. Look to him, lean on him. So the king of Assyria demanded 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. 
Now, I don't really know how much that is, but I think it's quite a lot. I don't think it was just pocket money. So Hezekiah, in verse 15 and 16, if you want to pick this up, this is what he did. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord. (gasps) He's robbing the temple to pay this king off. What's going on? And in the treasuries of the king's house. And he stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord that he put on there. This isn't good. It's robbery. This was something Hezekiah had done to honor God. And now he's taking away. So I'm sorry, God, I need that now. You can't have it anymore. And I, I, you know, I've got a problem. I've got a problem. I need to do something about this. He shouldn't have done that. I don't think. That was the wrong move. Hezekiah should have re- refused. Now, sometimes things like this happen to us. Situations arise that encourage us to compromise our stand. But it's really the enemy pressurizing us to accept less than. To give up things that we have worked for in God. Now, when I say worked for, I don't mean striven and strive to get somewhere with God. No, it's where we have walked into in learning about God, his faithfulness and his ways that we can trust him. And there are times where we are tempted to give up that sense of assurance, give up that peace, give up that whatever it is that we know God did that for me. And yet something's challenging it or has even taken it away. We have to learn to recognize these things when they come and to stand. Okay. There is a time to let things go that have been God things. But this is not one of such occasions. Here, the enemy was actually intimidating and trying to steal. And too often, I think we see things stolen from us. And sometimes we feel powerless to challenge it. Or we just aren't sure that we have the right to expect any difference. We just think, well... God's in control, he must have known, and I can't really do anything about it. And, well, shucks, that's just life. Uh, uh, No. God wants to bless us. God wants to prosper us. We are in this world, and therefore we are in the mix of all the stuff that goes on. However... We're in this world, but not of this world. We are also seated in heavenly places with Christ. He has been raised up high above, given the name above every other name. And we are seated with him alongside that name. He has given us his name in this earth so that we do not have to be under the circumstances. But we have an authority. And we can stand and stand in the gap on behalf of others to expect change. Now, there is something about a conviction that we need to come into as well. You can know it in your head. You can be told, but you think, yeah, OK, well, well, God, I just pray for this situation, uh, my neighbor, because you said I ought to in Jesus name. Amen. Mm, OK, I'm sure God won't despise that. But there is a conviction where. When revelation comes, which is when you suddenly see this truth, you think, 
hang on a minute, I am not having this robbery. This is robbery, and I have authority to take ground. There's a fantastic story. I've been reading through Kings, um, but that's not the reason we're in it today. Where David has been anointed king, but he ain't king yet. He ain't got the crown on his head. But he's been told, you will be king, and he's being pursued by the other king, Saul, who's trying to beat him up and kill him. Striking through with a spear and he's running away and there's all sorts of stuff going on, all manner of trauma and problem and hassle. And you think, I can't hack any more of this, God. This is no good. And it reaches the point where the Philistines come and they take everything of David's and the mighty men that were with him. All the wives and the children and the cattle and the stuff, they took it. And there was like, oh, oh God, this is the end. They're ready to stone me now. I'm on my own. And it says that David went and encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, we heard about this this morning. Sarah was saying about talking to herself. There is a place we need to talk to ourselves. It's not a sign of going mad, as people used to joke. Talk to yourself again. We do it all the time. I'm the only one to get sense out of sometimes. But you talk to yourself and you talk yourself up and you say, Actually, God lives in me. I have a heritage. I have a destiny. I have promises. I'm standing my ground. This is the promise of God to me. And David sought the Lord about all this stuff that had been taken from him. And he sought the Lord and the Lord spoke and said, Pursue, overtake and recover all. I love that. That is a word to the church in this nation. We have been robbed and it's time for us to pursue, to go after stuff and to recover everything and more. You know, this life that we're in is about reclaiming land, reclaiming positions of influence, reclaiming our streets, reclaiming all manner of things by our stand in this world with the wisdom of heaven. It's not about brute force because that won't cut it. It's about the wisdom of heaven and knowing what to do in a circumstance. Now, that was for free because that's not in the notes today, but it's pretty good, wasn't it? Don't you think? But it is truth. Now then, Hezekiah, back to our Hezi. He's been king for 14 years. Now, 14 years is a long time. Think back 14 years. It's a long time ago, isn't it? I was single. <gasps> 14 years ago. 14 is also a significant period of time, biblically. It's a juncture time is 14. If you look at scripture, you see significant shifts occur. The 14th year of certain things or the 14s of things. Had Hezekiah, this man who trusted God, held fast to him, followed his commandments, had he become complacent? Had he kind of drifted back away from his zeal and his hunger, and it become dim and diminished, disappeared. All the vibrancy of his faith had walked out the door. But coming hastily back, because he can't remember what he said. 
This is what happens to us. It's the subtle robbery of the eking away of faith, vigour and zeal. And we're in a season in our nation where the zeal of God needs to be renewed. <clears throat> we are at the, the closing, if you like, of an era of new church. There's an exciting prophetic word about this, which might be for another preach. But now is the time that God wants to blow again on his purposes. Not only in our nation, but in the, in the nation's. There is a massive stirring across the globe. We're part of it here. It has flesh and bones on it. That's us in the streets, in the homes around here, where we are. But God wants to blow on his work afresh. So where we've become complacent, where we haven't even realized that we've let ground go, go. It's, it's growing weeds. It's time to review and think, hang on a minute, let's think, did I used to bring prophetic words? Did I used to have words? And do you know, I need to stoke the fire again. I need to say, come on, I'm going to do this thing with fresh zeal. So back to Hezekiah. Assyria had taken Israel away 10 years earlier and had a niggling fear been niggling away at Hezekiah over these 10 years. Oh, there's Assyria over there. Oh, there's Assyria over there. Oh, I'm a bit worried. And then all of a sudden he comes to his door. And Hezekiah wasn't prepared. He compromised. He tried to buy off the king of Assyria. But you know what? The saying goes, what you compromise to keep, you eventually lose. That's a bit scary, isn't it? So... He pays him off, but the army advances, center stage, and arrives at the walls of Jerusalem. Uh-oh. Let's look at verse 17. What does it say? Then the king of Assyria sent... Okay, we've got some funny words here in my Bible. It says, the tartan, it wasn't a kilt, the rabsaris and the rabshakeh. Now, basically, they're like the commander-in-chief the general and the chief of staff, okay? The chiefs, that's all it is, some fancy names for it. From Lachish, with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they'd come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was on the highway to the Fuller's Field. Now then, they arrive... At a symbol of the lifeblood of Jerusalem, the aqueduct. This is where the water came into the city. And there stood there at the aqueduct. Ha! Here we are. We can cut off your supply. Ha! We're not afraid. Ha! The audacity... If Hezekiah loses control of the aqueduct, they're done for. What's he going to do? This is such symbolism of the way the enemy loves to intimidate the people of God. By standing over what is ours and making out as if we're about to lose it. He wants to generate fear, to cause fear to grip us, which opens the door for him to walk in and pluck that very thing from our hands. 
but we are not those who will fear. We know the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God, as it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 14, for the pulling down of strongholds of the enemy. Okay? Did you follow that? The enemy tries tries to intimidate. He tries to make us fear. Okay? By threatening. His bark is worse than his bite. Okay? He might bark in your face, but he can't touch you. Stand your ground. Resist that threat. You say, no way. If necessary, go to the courts of heaven. You might think I'm strange. But me and Corinne, we will do that. We go to the courts of heaven very consciously and we make representation. And we say, Father, you're the judge of all the earth. Will not you do right? Which he will. And you just make your stand and you declare. Before the courts of heaven, we declare this thing is null and void and illegal. And we take away the enemy's winds from his sails. We refuse it. And we've seen... On numerous occasions, a shift. We've just left it in the hands of God and something shifted. We need to know our authority. We need to have confidence that we can do that in spiritual matters. And stand in peace. We've been given authority to take our stand through the blood of Jesus and to resist these audacious attacks. The enemy has no, whatever it is, the foible, guile, whatever it is, he just does not care. And it's not even worth giving him the time of day to be shocked at what he would try and do. Let's just go on to verse 18 to 25. I'm just going to read through. This is the process, okay, that Hezekiah had to go through with all of this. Now, when they called to the king, uh, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, Joah, the son of Asaph, these are the goodies, Hezekiah's men. They came out to these chieftains. And the chieftains said, say now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war. But they're mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you're trusting in the staff, this rod of this broken reed Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say we trust in the Lord our God, isn't it he whose high place is? And altars that Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before the altar here in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able to put riders on them. How then will you repel one of the captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. I mean, the audacity of it. He's now saying, God told me to do this. He's trying to legitimize all of this. So Hezekiah, you know, if he didn't know his stuff, he'd be thinking, oh, no, you mean God told you to come against me? And oh, 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 o
Wrong. Again. No way. We're not having this. But the lies are unbelievable, aren't they? And that, it, this is what the enemy will do to us. Sowing rubbish into our minds. Then Eliakim, Shebna and Joah said to these guys, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of everybody else on the wall. But the chieftain said to them, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words? And not to the men who sit on the wall, who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Then the chieftain stood and called out in a loud voice. In Hebrew, here the intimidation just keeps going. And spoke saying, hear the words of the great, the king, the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Now he's trying to sow doubt into the people who are hearing. He shan't be able to deliver you from, the, from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city shan't be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me by a presence. Oh, he's after money again. He wants to strip them bare, doesn't he? And come out to me and every one of you eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree. And every one of you drink from the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. A land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey that you may live and not die. But don't listen to Hezekiah lest he persuade you saying the Lord will deliver us. Hmm. Now that description of that land sounded a little bit familiar, didn't it? Didn't God say to the Israelites that they'd have a land, have a land flowing with milk and honey? Whose rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. This sounds very familiar. And here's the counterfeit coming in. The enemy wants to sell them short with something else that isn't what God wants for them. He's trying every trick in the trade. He's trying to tempt them into something different. Something isn't what the Lord is promising. Bear with me because I've jumped off my notes and I've lost my page. Basically, this chieftain is defaming the Lord and is trying to sow doubt into the hearts of the hearers. But they are all lies. Lies, lies, lies. How dare he? You know, that happens in modern day. I was thinking as I was preparing this that the despot in Iran, I don't know whether he's still there, but... Abdinijab, whatever his name is, I can't... Do you know who I mean? Do you know who I mean? He's a, a cleric or somebody. He is just... They are sworn enemies of Israel. And he's actually out and out saying that the Holocaust never happened. Denying truth and fact. And that is the extent to which evilly inspired people in the world will go to extremes and deny truth calling black, white, and so on. The enemy will do the same with us in very subtle trickery. If we don't know our stuff, we'll swallow the pill. And it's a bitter one. You don't want to do that. Okay. So he's trying to offer counterfeit as well. And how dare he speak? 
And from verse 33 to 36, the tirade continues. And because of time, I'm not going to read it. Except coming in at verse 36, and it says, after all this ranting from this foreigner, but the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was, do not answer him. There is a great wisdom in holding your peace when you are confronted with a verbal tirade, whether it be face to face or whether it be going on in your brain. I'm not entertaining that. I'm not entertaining that. I'm holding my peace. I'm not going to bite. Sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. Don't react. Hold your peace. It's trying to rob your peace. Hang on a minute. I have peace. I'm going to keep it. Thanks very much. You know, there have been situations that have happened in my life which could have gone, you know, I'm walking along in peace and then this situation goes, and you think, hang on, wait. In a fraction of the second, you think, hang on, I have peace. I'm keeping it. I keep my peace. Now I can process this stuff. Okay. God's in control. I'm not going to be frightened. I'm not going to be intimidated. And actually, God will turn it for good. That's the response that we need to have. When you're bombarded by lies, and it often comes in our minds, as I've said, rather than through a person. When this happens, learn to speak the truth and build yourself up. And you soon to begin, soon begin to realize that the lies that have been sitting on you are just that. Wait a minute, that's just not truth. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. He said, never will he leave me nor forsake me. Okay, I'm conscious that there's more than I've got time for, but we need to continue. Verse 37, which is the last verse of, the ch- of that chapter. And so Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who's over the has- household, Shebna, Joab, Joah, sorry, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn. Now that's just a picture of, this is really bad. You don't like tearing your clothes, do you? But it was just a sign, I'm prepared, it's so bad, you need to get the message. This is bad, I'm going to rip all the buttons off, I can't cope with this. This was a situation like that. 19 verse 1, and so it was, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Everybody say, went into the house of the Lord. Praise God, he did. He should have done that first. But he waited until it got too bad. And sometimes it's not so we're facing things that are really challenging, that do we properly turn to the Lord and giving, give him our undivided attention? Would you agree? You kind of muddle along and you kind of know that God's with you and you know that he's mindful of your situation, and, but it's not getting any better. In fact, it's just getting worse and worse and, and then you're on your knees and you're thinking, perhaps I ought to pray. I imagine it's a good place to start, isn't it? We need to go into the house of the Lord metaphorically speaking. We need to go into the secret place. We need to call upon him. We need to remind ourselves of who we are. So let me keep going. It's just a good story. Are you all right with me? I know I've gone on half an hour. Can you bear with a few more minutes? 
You think you can? Okay. So it goes on. So they sent, this is verse 2, they sent to Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos. And they said to him, thus saith Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth and there's no strength to bring them forth. She's using a metaphor, really, a picture. You know, it's like the pregnancy of nine months and then we ain't got strength to deliver. We're just, we're doomed here. And it says, maybe that the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer, Isaiah, for the remnant that is left, which is Judah in Jerusalem. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah and said all this. And Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard with which the servants of the king of Syria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and it will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Come on, that's a good word. I like that. Hezekiah turned to God cried out to him they prayed they petitioned Isaiah will you speak to the Lord and it's almost as if in the next breath Isaiah starts prophesying the doom of Assyria he turned to God you know there's a verse in Corinthians where it says when a man turns to the Lord the veil is taken away When we turn to God, the veil of circumstance, the veil of confusion, whatever it is, is removed when we begin to see clearly. Turn to God and he will make things clear. He will give you wisdom to know what to do or what not to do. But in this story, the king of Assyria persists. What? What is going on? You get this word from God. Hallelujah. The next moment. Verse 8 of chapter 19. Yeah. Then Rabshakeh returned. Oh, no, sorry. Hang on a minute. He did return. He did leave. But the king of Assyria decided to send a message just to intimidate again. Verse 11. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria, the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands and all the nations. The gods of the nations delivered those Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Verse 12. And he goes on and lists all these different places where they've subdued. So he just continues to intimidate. Verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. Everybody say went up to the house of the Lord. He's got the word from God, but he goes back up, says, look, God. And this is what he prayed. O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. He's stating truth. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, Lord. Hear Open your eyes, Lord, and see, hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands. 
cast their gods into the fire, for they weren't gods at all, but the work of men's hands. Verse 19. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. He stated the facts, the real facts, the ultimate truth. God, you are on your throne. I am now asking you to act, to demonstrate that you are God and you alone, that all the nations may fear. Now, this is all Old Testament stuff. It's pre the cross and pre Jesus. How much more now do we have the right of access into the throne room to pray, to see a circumstance turn around and change and to see breakthrough? But we must go up to the house of the Lord. We must go into the secret place and bring our petition to heaven. Hezekiah says, did you see, Lord? Have you heard? Well, of course he did. He's all seeing and all knowing. But sometimes we have to spell it out for our own benefit, don't we? To know what we're talking about. This is a situation, God. I don't dwell on it because he knows it anyway. You want to focus on the truth, which is saying who God is. It's easy to become over familiar with our faith. We're born again and we know a lot of stuff. And sometimes it's a substitute for actually seeking the Lord for guidance or help. But God wants us to determine to consciously engage with him, to lay out the facts before him. If you want just to, as I've said, tell him what, how it is. But remind God how big he is, that he's committed himself to us, that he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. A bruised reed he won't crush, a smoldering wick he won't snuff out. Remind him that he is mighty and he's never let anyone down so far. And he's a rewarder of everyone who comes to him believing that he exists. God is calling us to be a people who come to him, who determine to put him first place in all our affairs and he will make a way. He will bring resolve and he will shine light upon our paths. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun in this house we definitely forgive we also do loud we give the best hugs we are family and in this house, that means we, we love. love.